People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. We're in a festive mood, really, and what better in December than to go along and enjoy yourself at the Rocky Horror Show. Since it first opened in London in June 1973 at the Royal Court Theatre Upstairs, Richard O'Brien's The Rocky Horror Show has become arguably the world's most favorite rock and roll musical, having been performed worldwide for 45 years in more than 30 countries and translated into over 20 languages and we've all seen the film perhaps many 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 times this critically acclaimed stunning new production is coming here to the artscape opera house this december directed by christopher luscombe now christopher is my guest on the program today and he read english at cambridge he began his career as an actor spending seven years with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Then he went on to appear at the National Theatre, the Old Vic and the West End. And his production of the Rocky Horror Show has toured for 13 years. It's completed three seasons in the West End, three Australian tours, and has also been broadcast in cinemas worldwide and touring the UK and now South Africa. So it's going to open on the 6th of December here at the Artscape Opera House and Christopher Luscombe is here with me to tell me all about the secrets of this new production. Welcome, Christopher. Welcome. Hi, Rocky. I know you're deep into rehearsals because we're recording this interview before it opens and um, you're still in the sort of rehearsal rooms but there are some things I would like to know about the play and first of all, how did you get involved with it in the first place? To be there for 13 years? Yeah, good question. Because it sounds as though you're very much a classically trained actor and director. It came as a bit of a surprise actually when it was offered to me because I I hadn't ever thought of doing a rock musical and I started directing, uh, well some time ago, I I was an actor for about 17 years Mm -hmm. and then I fell into directing really and loved it and directing plays was really my thing to start with. And then I started doing musicals and I did a musical for Andrew Lloyd Webber. He has a, <laughs> you won't be surprised to hear that on his magnificent country estate, he, he has a theatre in sort of in his back garden. And every summer he has a little festival there and produces a show. And he asked me if I would direct a show for him. This must have been about 13, 14 years ago. And I did the show for him. And in the audience was Howard Panter, Sir Howard Panter, who is the producer of the Rocky Horror Show. And after the show, he came up to me and he said, um, could we have a chat next week? I've got, I've got a project that I think might be of interest to you. And so I went in to see him and he said, uh, the, I said, oh, yeah, you know, what is it? I was very excited. You had no idea at I had this stage. no idea at all. And because he produces a lot of different stuff. Hmm. And he said, um, I want to do a whole new production of the Rocky Horror Show. And actually, to be honest with you, I was slightly uh, thrown because it wasn't a show I'd ever had in my mind. But I quite like that when things come out of the blue and you have to kind of... And presumably you've seen it. Yes, I'd, that oh, well, that's the thing. I hadn't really. Oh, no, really? I hadn't. I, I must be the only person in the world who's never seen it. Um, and I, and I, I mean, obviously, one is, you can't escape it. I've seen clips from it mm-hmm. and I've, mm-hmm. I knew some of the songs, but I'd never really sat down and watched the movie or been to the theatre and seen it. So I rushed off and bought the DVD and the CD and all the different things. And I started getting into it. And in in fact, it was lovely because I fell in love with it, really, and decided that I had to do it 
Um, and it was very good for me because it was something different. And it's introduced me to a whole load of new people that I would never normally work with rock musicians. And, and getting to know Richard O'Brien, who wrote it, has been a great privilege. Mm-hmm. So it and luckily it kind of clicked, I think. And we've been doing it. Yes. been my production is now 13, nearly 14 years old. You know, what's what absolutely intrigues me? I'm being sort of um, a bit devil's advocate here. Yes. It's one of those shows where you think, don't change it. It's worked so well for so many years. The film has this sort of aura, this cult status, as yes. I said. And I think they've just made another film, which they apparently have. is not done very well, has it? I, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> how do you approach a cult musical like this when he says he wants you to do a new production? Well, what I what I did, uh, yes, thank you. That is a really great question because, as you say, it's a classic. If it ain't broke, why fix it, mm-hmm. you know? But in this particular instance, what I think had happened over about 40 years was that the show had morphed into something rather different from what Richard O'Brien wrote. It had become rather sleazy, rather trashy, and um, a lot of stuff had grown up around it with all this audience participation you get, and a lot of accretion had built up over the years. And so, in a way, my job, as I saw it, in consultation with the management, was it felt like the time had come to try and get back to basics, Mm -hmm. to get back to what Richard had originally written in 1973. And that was a a treat to do because I knew there must be a, a great piece of work trying to get out. Um, and the, the quality of the writing is so... The, the lyrics are just... I mean, every day when we're rehearsing them, I'm st- I still marvel at the lyrics. And the the music is so infectious, so appealing. It is. It's and just it's tuneful. Very tuneful. Else. Absolutely. Memorable, tuneful. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it's lasted, of course. The, the music is so good. And it's very witty. It's very intelligent. And I loved sort of getting to grips with all that and trying to work out the best way to do that in a way that really honours what Richard was intending. Rocky Horror is a fun party show, but it's also got a rather profound message, actually. And it speaks to people at quite a deep level and takes them by surprise, I think, Mm because they don't quite see that coming. So, yeah, it's been a real treat. And it somehow manages to keep me going. You know, it's sort of every year I come back to it and it's always a treat with a new company, rediscovering it, finding a new a new way to present it with new people um, has it's it's I know like all classics I suppose you don't get tired of them yeah. they, they no, that's so true deliver. isn't it yeah. and I mean I'm, I'm sort of joked at the beginning about having seen the film a number of times yes I think I might have must have seen it nine ten eleven times right. I'm still watching DVDs and yes just a few months ago a group of us here had a Rocky party oh really Rocky Horror Gosh. Film Party Gosh. But it's interesting what you said earlier, Christopher, about the sleaze that had crept mm. in, because some people mm. seem to think that Rocky Horror should be sleazy and little dingy theatres. Mm. Mm. And I remember when I heard it was coming here, I thought, gosh, it's hardly Andrew Lloyd Webber, big glitz, because <laughs> it's on the opera stage, isn't yes, it? So it is. this is now yes. going to be, as you say, taking it back to possibly what Richard O'Brien wanted. Yes, although it is, you're right, it, it is on a bigger scale. When he first did it, it was done in the theatre, um, the Royal Court upstairs, which is a 60-seater venue in London. It's become, over the years, because it's become so popular, we now do it in these big, big theatres, like we're doing it here at Artscape. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a bigger, more commercial proposition, I suppose. Um, but I think the spirit of it, I hope, is true to what he wrote. Okay. And I, when yes, the sleazy thing is interesting, because it, obviously it does deal with sex and gender, and it's quite adult, I suppose, in its themes, but it's actually quite a moral story. This is a great surprise when you actually work and you think the, mes- the message of it actually is quite moral. So it's not 
ever, Rocky, what people quite expect, I think. Well, I want to find out a lot about that. I want to find out about Richard O'Brien yes. and some secrets, like why you have a, a woman narrator. But we're going to yes. come back to that. But what is your first piece of music? Actually, I'm quite surprised at your first piece of music. Ah. From the Rocky Horror to one of Handel's magnificent, <laughs> majestic coronation anthems. Indeed, yes. Well, I, the reason I've chosen that is because I love it for a start, but also it was the music that I used in my production in the West End in London of The Madness of George III. Oh, yes. And it's a it's a marvellous, as you say, a coronation anthem that Handel wrote um, for George II, I think. I think it was think. the second, yeah. Um, but it was, uh, George III was a huge Handel fan. I suppose it was quite interesting that he went for things that were of the previous generation. He was rather old-fashioned in his tastes, but he loved Handel. And so this music is ironic because it's used whenever a new king or queen is crowned in the UK, uh, they use this is the music. But it, in that production, um, in that play by Alan Bennett, um, it's used when the king is forced onto his um, restraining chair and he's being strapped down because he's mad, he's flailing around. And so the doctors become almost like the archbishop and the people in the church surrounding the coronation chair. But in this instance, they're really surrounding the madman's chair. And it's a very, very painful juxtaposition of the beauty of the music and the agony of his illness. But I chose it really because I've done five Alan Bennett plays and I've got to know Alan Bennett and worked with him a lot. And this particular production, wonderful actor David Haig, who played the lead, it's just got great associations for me. So that's why I chose it.
That's that really magnificent coronation anthem called Zadok the Priest by Handel. And it was the first choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Christopher Luscombe, who's directing the new production of the Rocky Horror Show here at the Artscape Theatre, Peter Turin production. And I wanted to talk to you, Christopher, about Richard O'Brien, who we all met the first time in the film as Riff Raff, a sort of strange androgynous creature. And when I look at interviews with him nowadays, he seems somehow a stranger. <laughs> but what was it like meeting him the first time? Was it scary? Well, was it I was quite nervous because, in fact, I was sort of presented to Richard for him to decide whether I was good enough to direct his show. He sort of auditioned me in a way. And uh, luckily, I, I, I obviously passed the audition because here I am 13 years later. But um, we immediately got on very, very well. He's very, very good fun. And he's so bright and interesting and he had a lot to say about the show. He's very good at answering my questions. A bit like I was mentioning Alan Bennett earlier. I love when you work with a living writer. It's quite unusual because often you're working with material like Shakespeare but you can't talk exactly, to the writer. Exactly. So here, the chance to actually ask questions and pin him down on things and say, what did you really mean by this? What did you really mean by that? Mm -hmm. So he's very good at answering. And some writers get a bit fed up with ask, answering questions about their masterpiece. They've done it so many times. Um, but he was he's always very good, and I still get in touch with him a lot. He lives in New Zealand now. Um, but he visits the UK occasionally. He travels around a lot. But um, And occasionally, in fact, he comes back and plays the narrator in the show for me, which is lovely. But I've always referred back to him because, as I said, I wanted to get it back to what he wrote. Mm -hmm. And I think he likes that, so he's very willing to chat. Did he agree that perhaps it had gone in directions that he didn't want it to go and that he was thrilled, therefore, as you said, that you want to pull it back a bit to what you Yeah, intended? I think actually, to be honest, it was his idea, really, to mm -hmm. do that. He, mm -hmm. I think he had a chat with the producer and said, let's just start again. Right. Um, right. I think he, w he went to see it and he was very unhappy about what it had become because it had become so much shouting out and throwing things and it was just crazy. Yes. And he, he likes what he first wrote. That's what he wanted to see <laughs> on stage. You know. So... so now, the fact that it is on a big stage like this, is this a big production? Is it all sort of glitzy? and? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is probably. It's a fantastic production. Uh, no, it's, um, it's, it's, I suppose it, yes, it's interesting when I look back at photographs, black and white photos of the original, mm. and you think, my goodness, actually, it's the same costume designer, Sue Blaine, who designed the original costumes and for the stage and for the screen. She comes back, she redesigns it for each cast, and she's amazing. And um, so the the costume designs are basically the same, but they have more money is spent. It's more glitzy. It's more fabulous. I suppose it's probably what they'd like to have done originally, but not had the budget. <laughs> yes. um, so now we have a proper budget and we, I think, put on a big show. Yes. And mm -hmm. give the audience a real experience. Now, let's consider the fact of your having chosen a lady as a narrator without upsetting the feminists, me saying, surely, I mean, remember Charles Gray in the film, yes. who was so magnificent, um, and we've had some excellent narrators in this country as well in various uh, productions. Yes. Whose idea was to put it a woman as the narrator? Oh, probably my idea, I think. I just felt that in this day and age, it's nice to shake it up a bit mm. and have more women on stage for a start. And also, there's actually no no specific reference to the gender of the narrator as long as he stroke she is an authority figure is intelligent witty charming seductive leads the audience spoken. in beautifully spoken charles gray was obviously very memorable in the movie he didn't play it originally on stage but he did the movie and i think i felt that 
it's important not to copy the movie. Of course. Uh, because, you know, we must have been a bit of a challenge for you. Yeah, you've got to kind of make it your own. And mm. I always say that to whoever's playing Frankenfurter, that the memory of Tim Curry lingers long, you know, and he was mm. absolutely sensational. But it's never going to be as good with someone doing an impression of Tim Curry. Better to make it your own. And I think that's true of all musicals. If you think of My Fair Lady, you don't want to see someone copying Rex Harrison. You want to exactly. see them make it their own. So I felt that with this too. And I... and. You know, we're lucky to have Kate playing the narrator, who's a fantastic actress, and she'll bring her own thing to it and, and make it special and memorable for that audience, you know. And how did Richard O'Brien react when you said you wanted to use a lady as a narrator? Oh, he thinks that's great. Oh, he does? He, yes, he's very much in favour of that, yes. Um, I think he feels like I do, that it's good to just refresh things a bit and not get stuck in a rut and, mm. and sort of, in a way, I suppose, reflect the times in which we're doing it. And we now do a lot of cross-gender casting in the UK certainly and I'm sure you do here as well and and so we just want to be open-minded about that really and do whatever works and I think it there's there's no doubt that it does work we have done it occasionally in the UK actually had um, a very well-known actress in the UK from Coronation Street the popular soap opera oh so everyone would have so been able she, to relate to her exactly and they <laughs> loved her and she as people she loved be able, they, everyone knows Kate Normington here that's so. right exactly that's and so I think it's I think it's rather nice if you have someone playing that part who you are familiar with and they mm. they are the link with the audience so Absolutely. Kate Normington yeah what a what a treat to have her doing it yes, you, you know like what, how, how could you do better than that <laughs> were you in on the auditions for I this? was yes I came out in January February of this year mm -hmm. and did all the auditions I do like to be as hands-on as I possibly can be and uh, it was also just lovely to come and visit Cape Town I'd never been before get to know the place a bit and, and so I sort of had a sense of where I was doing this and what I was who I was doing it for yeah the feel of the place yeah well, well, well. And um, how does Kate feel? Is she is she enjoying it? I know the as we as I said earlier, we're in the early rehearsal stages when we do this interview. Yes. Is she enjoying it? Is she, she is does loving it. Fit it her like a glove, as they well, say. Well, I think she feels it. As, I think she's amused because she has previously played Janet, the uh, oh, leading lady. Yes. Um, and so, and in fact, she played Janet opposite Craig Urbani as Rocky, and they both arrived. A couple of decades later, I should perhaps I don't know if I should say that, uh, playing slightly more mature parts, yes. and I think that's sort of that's made them laugh. And and but it's lovely that they've got a history with the piece, mm -hmm. and I think they are loving looking at it again afresh and realizing that, as with everybody, they came to it with a few preconceptions, and it's really lovely to see what's really going on in the scenes, what they're really about, mm -hmm. and having a fresh look and not taking anything for granted. Gosh, I would love to be a fly on the wall at some of the early rehearsals. <laughs> and I want to ask you a bit about that, Christopher. But let's have another one of your pieces. Um, this is from the Rocky Horror Show itself. Yes. The famous song, almost the anthem, isn't it? The Time Warp. The Time Warp, yes. Is there, I mean, apart from the fact that it's a lovely piece, is there a special reason you chose this? I chose it because I suppose it's emblematic of the show and it's the most, it is the most popular number, I guess. And um, it's also Richard O'Brien singing in the... Mm -hmm. I think we're going to hear him from the it's film. film soundtrack. That's yes. right. And he created the part on stage, then played it on film. And so it's it's one of my Desert Island pieces because it's his voice and it's uh, just the song from the show that I love. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll but listen closely not for very much longer i've got to keep control
It's just a jump to the left. Put your hands on your hips. There are some lovely memories for you. The time warp from the film version, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, with Richard O'Brien there as Riff Raff and the film cast. And it was another choice of the director of the Rocky Horror Show here at the Artscape Opera House, Peter Turin's production. And it is a production that's been touring the world for 13 years. And here it is in South African Cape Town in December. And my guest, Christopher Luskin, the director, as I said. Christopher, just listening to uh, Riff Raff like that, you, you talking about the narrator just briefly again. 
Isn't it interesting how various people have played? Because you said Richard O'Brien himself played the narrator. I yes. can't imagine that. And I think didn't Tim Curry at one stage play the narrator? Oh, he might have done. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. It's oh. amazing how people do, do pop up <laughs> yes, around yeah. the world playing these parts. Um, he's of course so associated with Frankenfurter. But I, Tim Curry would be a fantastic narrator. Mm. So why not? Yeah, absolutely. Now you remember I said at the beginning of a production. Here you are. Everyone, the actors and all that, have been learning their lines, learning the songs. They think they know it well. They've all seen the film. And you arrive on that first morning um, in the rehearsal rooms here at Artscape, fresh, raring to go. Yeah. And then what happens? Well, Do you give them a lecture? I, I don't give, I hope I don't give them a lecture. <laughs> I, I have a bit of a chat, give them a sense of what we're trying to do, um, and to tell them sort of where I'm coming from and the rest of the team, where what we're aiming for. Also just to make them feel welcome, because I'm really thrilled with this South African company. It's particularly strong, I think. And um, No, you're not just saying that, are you? So we're doing three well, I, I, I probably would just say it, wouldn't I? But I, in this, I can honestly say that I love them. And when I first did Rocky Horror, I think I, when I was quite new to doing these sort of shows, and I, I think I got them all to sing everything through on the first day, and they all sort of panicked and uh, nearly had a meltdown. So I don't do that anymore. I, I think it's best to ease them in gently. I think we, we kicked off on day one with doing the time warp because it's everyone does it at some point in the course of the evening and it felt like a good thing just to break the ice. Yeah. So we all did a bit of that. Um, they actually had spent two or three days with the musical supervisor working on the music before I even arrived in the country. So they had a sort of foundation. And then on the, the first day I was here, we did do the time warp with the choreographer but then what I try and do is look at each bit of the show, each scene, each song, each dance, quietly, just with the people involved in the room. And then about a week or 10 days in, we will then do a sing-through and a speak-through of the whole show. But I like to do that when they have the confidence to do it properly mm. and they're not sort of groping for it. And then just gradually you assemble it. You know, it's quite a sort of practical process, really. You just, you just, you just get on with it. You roll your sleeves up and you do each bit in turn. And then you go back and polish it and look at all the bits that aren't quite working. And, and then there's the choreographer who presumably does the dancing. That's right. Whereas you are doing the movements and I'm doing like it that. sort of, I suppose in a way in a musical as the director, you do, you certainly do all the scenes. Um, but you take an overview of the whole thing. So when, the musical director's working with them on the music or the choreographer's working on the dancing. I'm there because I'm kind of like uh, trying to oversee the whole thing. And we do work very much as a team. So the choreographer will turn to me and say, do you like it like this or do you like it like that? Or what do you think? Or have you got any ideas? And it's a very shared thing. And that's why I like having a team around me who are on the same wavelength, have the same taste, you know. You mentioned the team. Meet. Have you got a team from the UK with you as well? Yes, we have. Absolutely, we've got a we've got a local um, musical director, but we have the UK musical supervisor who just is here for the rehearsal process, right. and he will leave and leave our local MD to actually run the show on a nightly basis. But that's great because then you've got the, these two very experienced musicians working together at the helm. We all have our our rehearsal pianists. So the musical team, there's quite a few of them actually, uh, working with the singers in different rooms as well. We have two or three rooms on the go at any one time. So, and apparently yeah. the rehearsal period is very long. I met one of the uh, pianists and he said you start at 10 and only finish at 6. Yes. That's quite a day if you're leaping about. It is. I Yes, I sometimes think it's easy for me because I'm just sitting there watching them, but, <laughs> but they're actually having to do it. So I do try and uh, give them a break every now and again and uh, let them get their breath back. Mm-hmm. But, of course, to do this show, you have to be match fit. It's like being an athlete, really. So you have to train, and part of the training is rehearsing it and doing it again and again and again at full pelt. 
so that you then on the night you're ready to go. It demands a lot of energy. And what is the next step, Christopher, after the rehearsal room? When does the scenery come and the costumes and moving to the theatre? Right, quite late in the day. Actually, I think that's as it, as it should be. You want, don't want to run before you can walk, you mm. know. And in fact, the scenery is is being shipped here from the UK. It's just finished a UK tour. And oh, are you using the same scenery? Same that scenery, you do same all scenery, over the world? same furniture, same props. Um, and it, it's been to Australia about three times, and it's now been in the UK just recently, and now it's coming here to Cape Town and then Johannesburg. And so it is, yes, it's the international set. I always think it would be much cheaper just to start from scratch and build a new one, but I'm told that is not the case, and it's better to ship it. So it's arriving shortly, and then we, but we won't move on to the set until quite late in the process. When, when I think we know we can do the show in the rehearsal room, mm. we'll then have the new, fresh challenge of doing it on the stage with the scenery. Gosh, it's all very exciting. It, it is. It feel like wanting to see it creep down into the room. <laughs> Now, Christopher, another piece of music. What? Something quite interesting coming up here. Love's Labour's Lost. Yes. What is this all about? This is a very special piece of music as far as I'm concerned. It was I did a production of Love's Labour's Lost at the Royal Shakespeare Company in 2014. And we decided to set the play on the eve of the First World War. And that is a very good time period for that particular play because it's all about lovely happy young people having a wonderful time and then tragedy strikes at the end as the men are separated from the women and in our production they went off to the trenches and so there's a very beautiful lyric at the end of the play love's labor's lost this is the shakespeare play i should i should have mentioned that and um this particular lyric is normally done as a bit of a knees up i think but in my production i said to the composer nigel hess who's a fantastic composer, I have to say. We know um, him from Ladies and Lavender, oh, among other things. There yes. we are, of course. Robbie, and that yes. lovely violin solo with Joshua Bell. That's right, exactly. <laughs> and um, Nigel and I have done a lot of shows together mm. at the Royal Shakespeare Company and at the, the Globe, Shakespeare's Globe, and all sorts of things over the years. And he's incredibly skilled at pastiche. And he can, if you tell him what style you want, he can come up with it. Uh, rather like he did in Ladies and Lavender mm, with that absolutely. brilliant... Um, romantic concerto which uh, is all from his imagination but it's very much in the style of the great romantic violin concertos Um, so I said to him what I want this to be Nigel is a rousing patriotic uh, first world war song I want it to be in the mode of keep the home fires burning um, so that we really evoke that period with the Shakespeare lyric. And he said, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so oh, I thought I'd thrown down the gauntlet. In fact, funnily enough, I was at the time in Australia directing the Rocky Horror Show. He was in England composing the music for Love's Labour's Lost. And I think we discussed all this via Skype. And he then had a go, and he wrote this melody. And he wrote to me, and he said, can I send it to you? I want, I, I've, I've done a draft of it. I'd like to see what you think. So very early one morning in Adelaide in Australia, I put on my computer, and there was Nigel singing this song to me. And I have to say, I just knew, and it makes me well up now to think of it, because it's the most beautiful tune. And it, I mean, it could be Ivan Novello. It could be Keep the Home, Home Fires Burning. It's, it's in that league, I think. And it had the most incredible effect on the audience. And he, he drifted in the tune throughout the show in a sort of using it as a little bit of a theme, a light mm. motif through. And then at the end, we heard it full blast. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house, I have to say. When daisies pied and violets blue And ladies smocks all 
and cocoa buds of yellow hue to paint their meadows with delight. When icicles hang by the wall and Dick the shepherd blows his nail and Tom bears logs into the hall and milk comes frozen home in pail when blood is nipped and ways be foul then nightly sings the staring owl if love make me forsworn how shall i swear to love though to myself forsworn to thee i'll Mercury are harsh after the songs of Apollo. You that way, we this way. 
Well, I hear what you mean, Christopher. Music there by Nigel Hess when Daisy's pied from his production of Love's Labour's Lost. And my guest, Christopher Luscombe, a distinguished director who's here to direct his own version of the Rocky Horror Show, which is opening here at the Artscape Opera House. And... Christopher, you mentioned Shakespeare and looking through a list of the things you've done, um, both as an actor and a director, and I used the word earlier, a sort of traditional actor. That's why the Rocky Horror thing is such a shock to my system. But have you always wanted to be in theatre? It sounds as though it's been your life. It has, actually. Yes, you're right. It's, I've, I've had a sort of love of the theatre since I was very little, actually, when I first went to see a pantomime when I was five years old and was obsessed really and very stage struck as a teenager and then I did a lot of plays at school and then university and I was in the Cambridge Footlights and that was my route into the theatre really and that was the, the review group at Cambridge and I I went in initially to be I was a, an actor as I said for 17 years and I joined the RSC and so that in a way combined my love of theatre and Shakespeare uh, because I I'd read English at university so I was very I was very devoted to Shakespeare, I suppose, and that sort of theatre. Um, and I had seven years, amazing luck, really, that I was able to hang on at the RSC for that long, and it did so many different plays there. And so when I then became a director, I was very keen to work on Shakespeare and do classical theatre. And I think because of my background in comedy with the Footlights Review Group, I have most of my most of my work has been comic actually, so even people think when you do Shakespeare that oh you're very serious, but actually most of the Shakespeare plays I've done have been comic, yes. and so my life really has been spent trying to make old texts funny, um, or release the comedy that's in them, and I count Rocky Horror as part of that really. It's a great comic piece, and I've loved trying to make it amusing for an audience and use a lot of the same techniques as I would if I if it were Shakespeare. But now, um, with all these Shakespeare plays you did and being the actor you were for so many years, what made you make that transition to a director? Oh, well, that was actually a show I did for the Royal Shakespeare Company. I was When I was in the company as an actor, I put together a funny show about Shakespeare called The Shakespeare Review, which was a collection of comic material inspired by Shakespeare. Everything from Cole Porter, Noel Coward, Victoria Wood, you name it. Almost every comic writer worth his salt or her sort, has written a comic sketch or a song or whatever about Shakespeare, about Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, whoever. And so with a friend, um, we put together this sort of collection of pieces and then we performed it on a Sunday night in Stratford-upon-Avon. And it went down a storm. I think uh, the audience who go to Stratford, they, they're obviously very familiar with Shakespeare and they loved seeing a funny show about Shakespeare. So the RSC said to me, can we do it again? Can we do it again? And we kept on doing it. And then a wonderful uh, West End producer, who's since become a good friend, he he came to see the show and he said, I want to put this in the West End. But I had sort of taken on the job, not only of being in it and writing it, but I actually directed it because I someone had to do that. <laughs> and I thought, well, it might as well be me. So I directed it because it was originally just a Sunday night charity show. And it became overnight hilariously it became a west end show so i was sort of a west end director without ever aiming to be that but i loved it and i loved working with the producer and i loved working with the we had a designer by this point and a lighting designer a sound designer all these people that that's the joy of being a director is you collaborate with all these very skilled people i mean we mentioned nigel hess earlier a great composer i love working with all these different people and as i had been in love with acting i fell in love with directing 
and I think I'm very lucky because I've had that experience of being an actor and now I'm having the joy of directing musicals, Shakespeare, opera now. So I Yes, opera. Yeah. Wait, I was coming to that. Uh -huh. Now, I'll see lurking here an operatic debut you made earlier this year. You've got yes. another one coming up now. Yeah. Opera? Yeah. I, I've been wanting to do opera for a long time because I go to the opera a lot and I love it. But it's quite hard to get into as a director because they're, they're, it's a rather closed shop and quite a, a, a sort of separate world. Mm. Um, I've been knocking on the door for a while and then I uh, happened to get to meet the guy who runs the Grange Festival in England, which is a wonderful opera festival. And he offered me full staff, the Verdi Opera. And I did that earlier this year in the summer. a touch of Shakespeare there. Well, exactly. It was quite <laughs> clever of Emery because he said, yeah. I think for your first opera, why don't you do a Shakespeare one? Mm. Uh, and I'd been in Merry Wives of Windsor at the RSC and I directed it at the Globe in, in London. So I knew the source material. Merry Wives was adapted by Verdi to become full staff. And so I felt very at home in that world, um, even though it was in Italian and it was musical and it was very demanding musically. But I just had a ball working with My the most goodness. incredible cast of Gosh. international singers and a great Italian conductor. And I used it as a bit of a test. I thought, well, if I enjoy this, I'll try and do more. And if I hate it and feel absolutely lost, I'll never, ever touch it again. <laughs> but in fact, I loved it. And I and so since then, I've managed to get quite a few bookings for the future. I'm doing Traviata next year. And that's at, the, at Neville Holt. And then I'm doing um, Merry Widow at Holland Park in London. And um, then I'm going back to the Grange the following year. And so I'm really excited about this sort of new lease of life. I'm very lucky to have at my advanced stage, <laughs> I've got um, I've got a chance to do some something new, which is opera. Excellent. And is this why we have an opera piece coming up now? It is, because I thought with doing Traviata next year, it would be nice to have a little bit of Verdi and for me to listen to this and think how I'm going to do it when I have <laughs> these wonderful singers in the room with me next year. The drinking song from Act One of La Traviata. <laughs>
famous drinking song from Act One of La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi and another choice of my guest Christopher Luscombe. Christopher, before we come to the end of the show, um, we're going to go back to talking about Rocky Now and you were telling me before we came to the studio that the riffraff in this production, the role that was played by Richard, Richard O'Brien in the film, is someone who's played this role more than anyone else in the world? Surely not. Yes, in South isn't, Africa. Isn't that incredible? Um, we were very keen to use a South African company for this production. But we do have someone very special who's played Riff Raff all over the world for me, in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and he is called Christian Lavacombe, and he has played Riff Raff more than anybody, more than even Richard O'Brien. And he's been in, he's actually played several parts in earlier productions, not directed by me. He's played Frank, he's played Brad, and I cast him as Riff Raff, and he's played it for a very long time he's quite quite exceptional and i can't imagine the part played better and so i said to the management please you know could we bring him across as just a, the one person who we're going to sort of parachute in he's actually he was actually brought up in in south africa um so he knows this part of the world very well and in a way it's a bit of a homecoming for him and so i was thrilled when they said yes and he's such a wonderful actor and he gives it 101 percent every single night and you'd never know he's been doing it for a, such a long to say, time he's, he's been doing it for so long he's incredible is he still fresh he is he's you never know it's quite extraordinary <laughs> Well, you've certainly whet our appetites. Um, this show, the Rocky Horror Show, playing here at the Artscape Theatre through Christmas and New Year in this production, which has been touring the world for the last 13 years and is directed by Christopher Luscombe, who's been my guest. And just before you go, Christopher, yes. I see um, your last piece, Sweeney Todd, uh, Stephen Sondheim. Yes. Very few people can keep their hands off Stephen Sondheim. Indeed, indeed. And I, I'd never done a Sondheim until very recently. Just right before I came out here, I did a production of Sweeney Todd in Bergen in Norway at the Opera House there. It was a chance to work with opera singers again. But it was it was combining opera with my other love, which is musical theatre. And I just had such a great time. And I just thought it would be nice to round off this interview with the most recent musical I've worked on. Um, and Sweeney Todd is, I suppose, Sondheim's masterpiece, really. Absolutely. So, so great. Thank you, Christopher Luscombe. I'm dying to see the show, and um, I hope you enjoy your stay in Cape Town. Thank you, Rodney. Nothing's gonna harm you Not while I'm around Nothing's gonna harm you No, sir, not while I'm around Demons are prowling everywhere nowadays 
I'll send them howling. I don't care. I got way. Of course you do. What a sweet, affectionate child it is. No one's gonna hurt you. No one's gonna dare. Others can desert you. Not to worry. Whistle, I'll be there. Demons will charm you with a smile for a while, but in time, nothing can harm you. Not while I'm around. Not to worry, not to worry. I may not be smart, but I ain't dumb. I can do it. Put me to it. Show me something I can overcome. Not to worry, Mum. Being close and being clever ain't like being true. I don't need to. I won't never hide a thing from you, like so. Now let's stop all this foolish chatter and just sit here, nice and quiet. Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, Toby, not while I'm around. Demons are prowling everywhere nowadays. I'll send them howling. I don't care. Boys and their fancies. What will we think of next? No one's gonna hurt you. No one's gonna dare. Others can desert you. Not to worry. Whistle, I'll be there. Demons will charm you with a smile. People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. It's, it's astounding. astounding. It's bigger, steamier, and more outrageous than ever. It's the most anticipated musical show of the year. Peter Turin and Howard Panter present Richard O'Brien's legendary smash hit, The Rocky Horror Show. Get your thrill on with this spectacular cast, including Craig O'Barney as Frankenfurter. Do the time warp at Artscape Cape Town, December 6th to January 12th. Time is fleeting. Book now.